All right, all right. It's good to be here today. And uh, well, what a wonderful ministry this is. Um, the McCutcheon family here in Minden and in the surrounding area. Do you, those of you that are listening to me now, do you understand how special this ministry is? Do you think every church acts this way? Do you think every church has the outreach that you have here? Are you nodding or are you contemplating? Well, I can tell you that this is a special church, and not just because that my brother and Sherry are ministers here, but because of what they're doing and touching this community by the grace of God. And, uh, wow, I wish I could just load them up someday and take them around the country and do seminars somewhere. This is, this is ministry. <laughs> um, I'm going to show you some pictures in a little bit, but uh, there's a couple of things I wanted to say first, um, except how delighted I am. I'm glad to have Isaiah with me. I got him up at a church a while back, and I said, you want to say something? And he walked up the microphone, and he said one word, chicken. And see, he's already asked me about lunch, so I don't know what we're doing about lunch. But, um, Proverbs 1-7 um, says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, we're not talking about being terrified by the Lord. You know the difference? Some of us grew up in a way that I was afraid of God. And I wanted to know him, I think, but I was just so afraid of him. And that's not the kind of fear we're talking about or the Scripture's talking about. But we're talking about an attitude of respect toward God. And... Uh, not sure that's happening as much as it should, but um, I'm hoping to push that envelope a little further. My friend Pete Thompson down in uh, New Jersey, when the churches open back up, man, they hit the ground running, no masks, no, no social distancing, you know, just thank God, you know, we have a Jesus is all you need kind of a vaccine, and um, I didn't have the vaccines then, but guess what happened, Pete? He got the virus. And he ended up in the hospital on oxygen. And so I'm talking to him back and forth, and he got out of the hospital, and uh, they started back, the churches uh, started Zooming again instead of having live services. And uh, the first Sunday he was back, I Zoomed the, the service there in, at my house, and, and he started out by saying, I didn't respect the virus like I should have. And he said, when we are able to get back together, we're going to social distance, we're going to wear masks, and I'm going to get the vaccine as soon as I can. And uh, obviously that's what they've done there because I Zoomed their church a lot on Sunday morning at home um, because a lot of our churches haven't opened back up in, in, in Georgia yet. But that's not that's a, maybe a little idea about the kind of respect that I'm talking about uh, and, and the Scripture's talking about. 
I, I believe we're talking about a whole different kind of respect for God. Just, you know, are you in awe of God? Just when you think about God and the power of the Holy Spirit, um, it should put us, I hope it puts us, in, in a place that we respect Him. Um, uh, April the 27th, 1967, I'm coming up on a, on a spiritual birthday here in a few weeks because it's a real marked day for me. And uh, unlike your pastor who just was following God, he wandered out in sin until he was about six, I think, or seven. And, uh, but I wasn't that guy. I'm, I was just kind of out there and I wanted to do my own thing and all this stuff I wanted to do. And so um, I tore my car up on a Saturday, which wasn't too unusual, tore a transmission out of it. So Sunday morning, I announced to my mom and dad, I am not going to church now. I'm not going to go to church anymore. And I want to tell you, normally I would have lost, a, we would have had a battle, and I would have lost. But in God's wisdom to my dad, he said, son, go on down. We, he ran a little uh, Happy Days curb service hamburger stand. He said, go on down to the restaurant and, and uh, get it prepped up for us to open after church. Man, I'm going down, and I thought, well, that was about the easiest thing. I would have quit church a long time ago if I would have known it was going to be that easy. Man, I was, I was the happiest kid in Collin County that day. So I'm down there, I'm cutting up onions and tomatoes and, and lettuce, and I'm just getting ready. What a wonderful day. And then mom and dad came back from church, and my dad said, uh, in our conversation, his son said, there's a young evangelist at our, started a revival meeting at our church, and, and he plays the guitar. Well, that kind of got my attention, because I wanted to play the guitar, and said, uh, he's from California, and that really got my attention, because I don't know, there was this fascination with California when I was a kid. We all wanted to go to California. And we heard all these stories. Some of my friends had run away from home and hitchhiked out there. They came back with all these tales of the West Coast. And I thought, man, that's where I want to go. So I'm walking. To, uh, so I, just, I agreed to go to church. I walked a few blocks down to the church. And I, I'm really, I'm thinking as I'm driving down, walking down there, this is a wonderful day. This is going to be my last day to ever have to go to church again. And, man, you, the joy. I can't, you can't imagine the joy that I felt walking down there. I don't remember the sermon. I don't remember the song. But I remember this arrow that pierced my heart as a 17-year-old as a kid. And something hit me. If you don't get, you got to get to that altar like now. And uh, I think part of it might have been a mom that prayed. I... Uh, I was preaching at a church a while back, and I said, if, you're, if, if your mom prays, and if God talks to your mom, you should come on to the altar now, because you, you're not going to make it without it. And God got a hold of me that night. Uh, I know God knows all things, but uh, I remember walking home a few blocks to, to my home after church, and I'm thinking... I will never be the same. I will never be the same. I don't know. 
Anybody else have an experience like that with God? I just knew right that moment. Now, you know, hey, I grew up in the assemblies of God. I got saved all the time. Getting saved wasn't that unusual for me. Steve Powell is a buddy of mine, and he's a district secretary in the Assemblies of God down in Florida. And we used to preach revivals for his dad up in Illinois, and Philip, Philip was there a few times as well. And uh, uh, so I always tell, tell Steve, I say, you know, Steve, you got saved in one of my revivals. He said, I got saved in all the revivals. <laughs> But something happened to me that night that was way different than all them times before when I, you know, I went to the altar and I prayed and I asked God to forgive me and it lasted till Tuesday, maybe. Because I wanted to, I wanted, I was wanting to, I wanted to please the flesh. But this one night, I knew that I would never be the same. And that's the night I really and over the years, this has developed, but I began to respect God. Not just know Him, not just know about Him, but to really respect Him for who He is. Our mom had a, she had a, 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 um, a very keen sense of respect for God. Um, she came down to Florida, and we were reaching all these, we were reaching all these street kids, and was picking them up in the van from the ghetto, and some of them hadn't been to bed, and they come into church, and I remember mom saying, well, I just don't know why they can't uh, dress up better to come to church, or I don't know why they can't learn to act better. They, they didn't know how to act better anyway, but I do remember this as a, as a boy. I couldn't have been very old because um, I went to Six Flags with my mom. So if I was a teenager, I would have never done that, I can tell you. But for some reason, Mom and I ended up at Six Flags, went on little musical review things, and they started singing when the saints go marching in, and had a little dance going on, twirling a hat, and I felt Mom's hand hit mine just like that. She lifted it up and marched us out of there, and we weren't sitting in the back either. And she said, not very quietly, they're making a mockery of God. And that's how she felt. I don't know if they were making a mockery of God or not, but as far as mom's idea, they're mocking God when they sing and dance like that. How about this? Respect for God causes us to have a healthy dread of displeasing him. Of, of pleasing him, of, of, of living according to the scripture. Um, um, you know, the way I grew up, maybe some of you, uh, there was all these rules that added on to us, especially if you were female. It, it was tough. It was tough living for God in those days. But I'm not talking about terror about God. I'm not talking about God following us, following us around just ready to, to blast us if we stepped out of line. But I'm talking about a God that we learn that we want to we please him. And we want to please him by doing what he wants us to do. By following the heart that God puts in us. I heard a wise man say, I'm not afraid of failure. But I'm deathly afraid 
of being successful at something that doesn't matter. You know, when, when, we, when we, ple we please God when we do something that matters. That's why, it's one reason I love this ministry here so much, because very uh, distinctly and, and with, with, with planning, you guys are doing something that matters in the community. It's not just coming to church and singing a few songs and on Sunday morning. It's about touching lives by the power of God. And Are we going to see them in church? Well, maybe, maybe not. That's not the point. How can we minister to you? How can we be a friend to you? You know, for an unbeliever to sin, that's just what unbelievers do, right? But for believers to sin, it's a whole different ballgame. When we walk into sin, when we willfully, um, just, there's just a world of difference. You know, in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about uh, deliverance. And he said, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, by not but not destroyed. That's a life that's living to please God. That has a healthy, healthy uh, Fear of not pleasing God as we go along. Does God, does God know that, you know, God knows that we're flesh, doesn't he? He, he knows us, but he, the, the, not, the wonderful thing is we are flesh, but God has given us a way out. Look, listen to this, First Kings, or First John 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins. Isn't that interesting how that goes together? It's like this old copy machine I had in an office once said, do not open this copy machine. But when you do, <laughs> and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sin. He paid the full price. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You hear that? Today, the sins. Last Sunday was Easter. We celebrated resurrection. Uh, maybe a little more than we normally do. But in that day, that that price that he paid is not just for my sin, but he said, I'm paying the price for the whole world. And I, it's, just, it's just awesome. What a, what a powerful thought is that the grace of God is big enough for every single person to reach into and, and come to Christ and know him. When I was a boy riding a school bus in Farmersville, Texas, we used to ride out to a little community outside of the town and pull into a little mom and pop grocery store, had a little house in the back where the, where the proprietors live, and we'd pick up a young man. <clears throat> He'd get on the bus. I talked to him many times, nice talking, uh, star halfback on our team, the fighting farmers. And our motto was, we may not win the game, but we will win the fight after the game. True story. And your bus may not have one tire that's inflated when you try to pull off. We only had one police officer in the policeman in the town. Do you remember his name, Philip? 
I thought I did, but I lost it. I think it was Barney. He had that one bullet in his pocket. Oh. <laughs> Don't sin, Scripture says. But when you do, we have an advocate. My buddy Milton Carroll wrote that awesome song, He's Whispering My Name to the Father of Creation. He's Whispering My Name, this King of Kings. Although I've brought him shame, although I've brought him pain, he's not afraid to go to his Father and whisper my name. We pick up this guy that's half back, and we'd go to town and go to school and all that. I moved away from there, <clears throat> living in a little town. After I got married, we went off to, um, we were out preaching somewhere. And uh, I, I walk up to a little store every morning and buy a newspaper. And one morning, 1969, I believe, I picked up a newspaper. And his picture was on the front page. Although it didn't look anything like <clears throat> that halfback that used to play on our team. Because he'd went out to California, and he'd got himself really involved in drugs and a, a terrible lifestyle, and he ended up with a man by the name of Charles Manson. You ever heard of him? And uh, my friend that I rode the school bus with, his name was Charles Watson. They called him Tex Watson in all the, the books and the movies and everything else that's been made about him. He's actually one that did some horrible murders in California. He ended up getting a death sentence in California. Then they did away with the death penalty, at least for a season, and his own life uh, got a life sentence. Uh, Charles Watson's never going to get out of jail, and he probably shouldn't. But let me tell you something. The grace of God, the power of God, has reached into that penitentiary out there, and he came to know Jesus Christ in a powerful way. <laughs> And, and it's had a, had a phenomenal, you can look it up, YouTube it or something. You can look it up. He's had a powerful ministry over the years, ministering to, to inmates and others. Um, because God's grace and God's power and what Jesus did on the cross. <laughs> I wouldn't normally read this much scripture in, in the middle of a sermon, but I need to read this. So you can get the picture. In 2 Corinthians 7, therefore having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. That's a pretty good job right there, isn't it? Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I have said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Greatest boldness of my speech toward you. Greatest my boasting of your, on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all tribulations. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were tears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted in you. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. For if and I made you sorry 
with my letter. I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I perceive with the same epistle, I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though for a while. For now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance, for you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Um, I don't. I hope. I'm sure, pretty sure all of you caught that. He said, "Godly sorrow." There's this wonderful gift that God has given us. It's called the gift of pain. And God loves you too much, and he loves me too much to let me wallow in sin. Because when I go that direction, he's going to send a pain into my heart that's going to stop me. It's called godly sorrow. You know that pain is one of the greatest gifts you'll ever have. Because pain is an indicator that there's something wrong. And it happens in the physical. I read a book once called pain, the gift that nobody wants. And it was written by a doctor who worked in a, a leprosy hospital. One of the characteristics of leprosy is you lose the ability to feel pain. And he told about a young kid that was running with a broken ankle, but it didn't hurt. And he just kept on running until his foot literally just fell off. But it didn't hurt, so he kept running. A little girl that cut the end of her finger off and, and blood was spurting out of it, and she was writing on the wall with it because she thought, man, that's really neat. Because she didn't feel the pain. So pain in your body. I had to have a little man procedure a while back. And uh, so they're doing a little consultation before, you know. Have you been around anybody with fever? Have all the normal questions. And uh, said, uh, are you in any pain? I said, I'm 71 years old. I'm always in pain. My back hurts, my knee hurts, my neck hurts. She said, that's not what I'm talking about. I said, well, what you ask? But in the spirit, I've, I have grown to thank God every time I feel that pain in my heart. Every time that I know that I, maybe I'm not, haven't went there yet, but I feel that pain. That's want to stop me from falling into sin and, 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 and going against God and not pleasing Him. See, godly sorrow leads to deliverance. Godly sorrow leads to, re to resurrection in us. Oh, my goodness. Don't you want to say with Paul one day, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. <laughs> The fear of the Lord is about reverence toward God, respect for Him, love, appreciation, holding Him and His Son in the highest esteem. And this is the attitude that's necessary if we're going to please Him. And I'll tell you about, I don't know about you, well, probably all, I think we would all say this, I want to please God. And I, I, and I want to, I, I want to, create in me more of a desire to not displease him. You know, Christianity is such an interesting religion. It's, it's really not a list of rules. The Bible is not a list of rules. 
the, the Bible's not really a manual, like, you know, you have a manual car to check where the lights go and where the, whatever happens. But the Bible is a book of truth. And, you know, the Bible is there to speak to our hearts as well as the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. And so I thank God for the pain that I feel. First of all, if I can feel it before I go into the sin, that's even better. But if I found myself that I've, un, unfortunately, I wish I could tell you that all these years, um, I think, I think in a couple of weeks, it'll be 54 years I've been walking with the Lord, been on that journey. And I wish I could tell you I'd never had that godly sorrow. And on the other hand, I'm glad to tell you that I have had that godly sorrow because it reached down where I was and, and, and turned me around. This is the message that will change the world. This is the message that will change your life. This is the word that will keep us on the straight and narrow so we can always be that person who is pleasing God. You know, your, your family sometimes may not understand when you walk to please God. Our mom, I think one of the most emotional times I've ever had was after mom had died a few years ago. I was standing by the casket. Philip and I was standing there. And I looked over, and I saw this lady standing there looking down at my mother. And I realized it was the lady when she, my mom was 17 years old that invited her to church and took my mom to church. She, mom came out of a great family, but they were not a church family. They, were, they, they didn't have much to do with church at all. And I looked over, and there's the lady standing there that led our mom to Christ when she was 17 years old. And as one of our family members told my wife, my mother one day, said, Ruby said, you, you've lost your mind over this religion. You know, because she went to church and Sunday morning, Sunday night. We went to church a lot in those days. But a little bit later in the story, phone rings on Sunday morning. Ruby, are you going to church? Man, would you play, pray for Billy? Would you pray for because all of a sudden, mom had lived a life pleasing to God that they could see it. And they wanted, they wanted it. And a lot of those folks came to Christ in her family before that was all over. Um, this is the message that will reach down to a fallen man and lift him up. And we've been watching God do that all over. But in Atlanta, particularly for me, we've been watching God. Because... You know, you come to church in Atlanta, you, you don't know, you don't know who's going to walk in. And we try to, our best to do an atmosphere where everybody is welcome. We welcome you to come in as you are. We may not, we don't want you to stay like you are, but we welcome you to come in like you are. And and so, as a as a result, we get to pray with people on a regular basis. And this is this is what's burning in me right now, is to let people know. Look here. You need to learn how to not just come to Christ, but learn that you want to please God. Learn, learn that you want to walk with him and, and, and live a life that's pleasing to, to him. And uh, I want to pray for you this morning. I don't know where you are in your walk with God, but we're all on a journey. And I want to pray for you. Then I'm going to just show you a couple of pictures of things that we're doing and and what happens when you give in our, to our ministry. Um, and I'll say more about that in just a second. But um, 
If you're struggling today, let me encourage you right where you're sitting. Just say to God, you know what? I'm going to take that. I'm going to take that word. And I'm going to live my life more pleasing to God. I want to, maybe some things I need to straighten out. God, reach your hand down of mercy to us today. Thank you for your grace that's abundant and more than we could ever ask or dream or think of. And I thank you that you're not satisfied to leave us as we are. But you and your great mercy and your great grace and your great power will love us so much you'll prick our hearts and 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 with the uh, with with the, the the gift of pain that will turn our hearts around and we will so give you the praise for that and the glory and the honor in Christ's name amen we've been out there for a long time well over 30 years and I want to just show you a couple of pictures that uh, that kind of shows what we do and um, when you give, uh, is what happens. Um, God opened up a great ministry to me a few years ago among the among Muslim students. I've had more fun with these young people. Um, I'm the only Pentecostal pastor I know. It's got a bunch of Muslim kids calling him pastor, and so we've been having a time. And uh, uh, so go ahead and show that next slide. One of the young ladies. Oh yeah, look at this. <laughs> um, the first Sunday that I worked with them, they did pancakes for the homeless on a Sunday morning. And uh, then they sat around and talked to people for you know an hour or so. And then when everybody left, I, we all got together. And I was just doing a little chit chat with them, like you know, who'd you talk to that was interesting and. What kind of tale did you hear? And um, One of the young ladies, <clears throat> she didn't need to do this for me, but I guess she felt like she needed to. And she said, uh, she said, now those terrorists, we don't consider them to be Muslim. I said, that's all right. We've got some Christians we don't consider to be Christians. <laughs> and uh, we've been friends ever since. <laughs> I brought a guitar in the first Sunday, and I, I thought, well, what, what are they going to sing <laughs> And, uh, but I just thought, well, I'm just going to wait and see. And her first song was Sweet Home Alabama. So I thought, I believe we're safe. <laughs> okay. That's my daughter on the right. Some of you met her a few, I don't know how long ago it's been since her and Jimmy were up here. But the young lady on the left was walking by a safe house one day. Didn't know who we were or what we did. And she came walking in and she said, what is this place? And so somebody brought her to my office. All the clothes she had on at that time was she had a sweatshirt on, a pair of jeans, and shoes. No, no other, no, nothing else in her hand at all. And so in our conversations, the minister with her, I said, well, what would you really like to do? She said, I'd like to go home. I said, well, where is home? She said, Oceanside, California. And I said, do you have relatives there that, because we have a program called Reunification that we send people home to their relatives. And she said, I do. So I have my uncle, my dad's brother. So I called him. We got him on the phone. And he's like, 
Where has she been? They hadn't heard from her in, in several years. And uh, so the next day, we put her up in a hotel that night. And my daughter, Sharon, said, you know, she needs some things. How many know all women need some things? And so she put some things together. And we put her on a bus that next day to, to California. And she got there fine. I've talked with her uncle and stuff ever since she's been there. But that's the kind of things that just happen. All right. Go ahead and show that next slide. There you go. Oh, let me tell you about this guy. That's a little group from New Jersey that was up there. A family, really. Uh, old Robert in the middle there. He had eczema, like so bad. to get on his face and just like scales and, and, and his hands. And I used to help him buy medicine all the time. Like every two or three months, I help him buy some medicine. And one day he came in and he goes, Pastor Joe, said, the, the doctor said, I, I've been putting too much medicine on, my, on me. So I just, he said, put Vaseline on. I said, well, hop in the van. So I went down to the little drugstore, and it was so cute. He walked over, and he finds the tiniest little container of Vaseline. I said, man, get the big one. He said, are you sure? And I said, yeah, I'm sure. Get the big one. And then we're going by the drink thing, and I said, well, I'm going to get me and Isaiah a drink, get you something. And so he, he looked, and looked, finally he finally holds his drink. and said, hey, I got this one. It's only a dollar. I said, Robert, I don't care how much it costs. Get you a drink. But this I'll never forget. We got in the van. We're driving back to Safe House. He reached his hand down in that petroleum jelly, and he took this first like this, and he went, oh, that feels good. <laughs> oh, that feels good. He's got me crying driving the van back over there with a jar of Vaseline, you know. Oh, that feels good. <laughs> Sometimes you think you've got to do something magnificent. And in his case, he just needed some Vaseline to put on his face. Old Robert, okay? This man got beat up so bad, they literally beat one of his eyes out. And uh, he had come down to the safe house and, uh, at lunchtime. And his... The socket, he, he had a, they actually had, were fitting him for a prosthetic eye, but he uh, started bleeding real bad, and so we got him cleaned up, and uh, I'm putting some gauze and some tape on his, covering up that socket there, and that's what you do when you get down where people live. <laughs> All right, I think I got one more maybe, or two more. Oh, that's Vivian. I loved Vivian. She was an alcoholic there in the city. She'd been beat up and raped and robbed so many times. But we, we always would give each other a hug when we got down to the park. One day I had this young lady from Indiana, Liz. She got, she's down in the park. I wasn't with them that day, but she's down there. And, and Vivian said, man, that's a beautiful dress. And Liz said, well, you can have it. So they went up to the restroom and they traded clothes, and Liz put on her clothes, which weren't very clean, and she put on that dress. Man, she went walking back to the park. I saw her there too later. I said, Vivian, I heard about that dress. She said, I felt like a queen for a day. And uh, Vivian passed away a, f a couple of years ago. I went down and visited with her. They put, somebody put her up in a hotel. We took some food down to her, able to pray with her. Then she went to hospice. 
but she was a, a very hurting woman. And so when you think about us and you pray about these folks, they're just uh, down and out's not even the right word because it, it's worse than that. Okay, I think I have, now I think I have one more. Yeah. Now, um, some of you over the years, before I moved to Atlanta even, uh, um, invested in our ministry there in Tampa. And at first, we were just going down in the hood, in the ghetto, and doing like children's ministry. We'd take, take music down there and puppets and stuff. And, but the first night I went there, I met this young lady. She was five years old. And I was playing my guitar and singing. I said, well, look here. Whitney Houston's here. I said, come on over here, Whitney, and sing with me. So she came up. Afterwards, she said, I, I want you to meet my folks. So we go over to their little their apartment. This was a place with no grass, on the, just dirt, and no paint even on the buildings. The houses or the apartments weren't even painted. And her mom and grandma was sitting on the porch, drinking 40s. And, uh, but we all became friends. She got three other sisters. All of them have become successful. Shanita, my picture with her there is... Um, a few months ago, her and her husband came to, stayed up in the mountains for a week or so, celebrating their anniversary. Uh, they're still living for God today. They are, uh, they're head of the young married class at their church over in St. Petersburg, Florida. And she works in healthcare. Uh, one of her sisters is an RN. Um, another one works in healthcare. One of her sisters has a, uh, um, has a master's degree in conflict resolution. And it's just been awesome to watch this family. And I, I've often thought, I don't feel indispensable, but sometimes I think, what if we hadn't went down there with those puppets? You know, what if we hadn't have done that? What would have happened? And here this young lady is still living for God, oh, since probably 1989 or something. And this was the foundation. We actually started the church crossover with a bunch of young people like this. And uh, by the way, I preached at that church back in uh, January. Um, uh, our youth pastor, he got nationally signed as a hip-hop artist when he was my youth pastor. So all of a sudden I had 100, 75 or 100 on Sunday morning. He had 200 in the youth thing. So we saw the handwriting on the wall with that. But uh, Tommy has taken that church they're running about 2,000 down there now. And i got to tell you this, I wanted to quit. Charles Calhoun and his wife, you know the Calhouns, uh, he, he, had made a, he had made a commitment to me to walk with us through that. And I was so tired and so broken and so broke. I, had, I called Charles. I said, I want to have breakfast. And he said, well, went to breakfast. And I said, Charles, listen, I'm going to close the church down Sunday. I'm just too tired. I spent all the money I got. I cashed in all my insurance. I don't have any money left. And uh, so I, I quit. We're just going to quit Sunday. I'm going to close it down. And I'm going to release you and Faye for, of your commitment to me. And he looked across the, the table at me and he says, Joe, you're not going to close down the church. You cannot release us from this commitment. And we're going to keep having church. <laughs> What do you do when you try to quit? 
They won't quit with you. Now it's a wonderful church, amazing church there in Tampa. God bless you. Thank you for putting up with all this.